When the aeroplanes slammed into the Twin Towers on that day in September, it's claimed that of all the phone calls made from the towers, uh, of the hundreds of phone calls that were really made, it's claimed that not one of those calls was a message of anger or hate or bitterness. It's claimed that every single one of those calls was a message of love, of people just desperately trying to contact the people that they loved to tell them what they were going through, to tell them what was happening, to tell them that they loved them. Love's a very powerful part of being a person. When you are going through a dark time, the love of someone else can be an enormous comfort. That has been so evident, don't you reckon, on our tellies this last week in the wake of the uh, Victorian bushfires. The news has been full of people running into each other's arms when they see someone who they thought they might have lost. The news has been full of pictures of people just standing in the ashes of their homes, holding one another, hugging one another. At a tough time, the power of love is enormous. Which is why in this short passage that we're going to have a look at this evening, it's why the Apostle Paul wants to tell the Thessalonians all about the love that God has for them. See, hopefully you remember from the last two weeks that this is a letter written to Christians who are doing it a bit tough. It's written to Christians who are new at following Jesus and they're struggling a little bit. Uh, They live in a town, they're surrounded by people who would love to make life hard for them. Uh, These are Christians who actually don't know a lot about Jesus yet. And so as we saw last week, they're easily fooled by false ideas. These are Christians who are a little bit confused, a little bit scared about following Jesus because last week the Apostle Paul actually told them that things were going to get difficult, things were going to get worse. Uh, Satan, the evil one, is going to make things even harder than they are now as he told them about a man of lawlessness who was going to arise. But you see, last week, having told them about Satan's activity, this week in these verses, the Apostle Paul now swings to tell them all about God's activity because he doesn't want these precious Christians to be too troubled about this man of lawlessness who they thought about last week. Don't get too worried about him, Paul now wants to say. Instead, be comforted, be comforted that there is a God who for all eternity has loved you. Verse 13. But we ought always to thank God for you, brothers, loved by God. A contrast is being made there between the Thessalonians and people whom Paul talked about last week in verse 12. Back in verse 12, Paul referred to some people who delight in wickedness. He talked about people who have not believed the truth. He talked about people who are condemned and who will perish. But Paul now hastens to add, Thessalonians, that's not you. No, no, you are in fact the opposite. Rather than not believing the truth, you guys do believe the truth. Rather than being condemned by God, you guys are in fact loved by God. And he now goes on to reassure them of just how much God does love them by describing the way God has expressed his love towards them in the past, in the present and even into the future. 
He starts with God's love for them in the past. Verse 13 again. We ought always to thank God for you, brothers, loved by God, because from the beginning, God chose you to be saved. Two key words to notice here. Firstly, that word beginning. Beginning of what? What's he getting at there? In his letter to the Ephesians, Paul, I think, spells it out a little bit more explicitly. In the letter to the Ephesians, Paul says, God chose us even before the creation of the world. Now, that's a big thought. God chose us even before the creation of the world. In other words, when you're one of God's people, God loved you before you were even in existence. That as God was fashioning the world, as he was putting the stars and the moon in the sky, as he was filling the oceans with water, as he was filling the land with plants and animals, as he was doing all of that, he actually had you in mind. It's extraordinary. And look, we must not get too carried away with this idea. It's not all about us. Other parts of the Bible make it pretty clear that Jesus is the one at the true centre and heart of God's purposes and plans. God chose us before the creation of the world to be saved in Christ, so as to glorify Christ, so as to unite all things under Christ by the death of Jesus on the cross. It's Jesus who's the true centre of God's plans, and yet it's still also true, it's still right to say that God has loved us, his people, In an extraordinary way. Before you existed, God loved you. He had you in mind even before he started work on the world. And the thought of going to trouble and effort for you doesn't faze him a bit. He's delighted to do it. He loves you. From the beginning, God chose you to be saved. And the second key word there, of course, to notice is the word chose. God chose you to be saved. God picked you to be saved. Now, some people don't like this idea. Uh, They don't like the idea of God picking certain people but not others. Uh, If you're one of those sorts of people who don't necessarily like this idea, if you don't like acknowledging that sort of level of sovereignty to God, uh, God's got some pretty strong words to say to you. You might like to read them sometime in Romans 9. Uh, that's the sort of chapter that will put you in, the play, in your place. But more to the point, for this section, why would we want to resist an idea like that? It is, in fact, a wonderful truth that God chooses his people. It's, it's a truth that carries great assurance and certainty of salvation, which is precisely why Paul is sharing it with the Thessalonians here. I mean, think about it. If your salvation can be traced back to before you even physically existed, it emphasises the fact that it's all about God and not about you. God didn't choose you to be part of his people because you're gifted at one thing or another. He didn't choose you because you have a quiet time. He didn't choose you because you're generous with money. He didn't choose you because you're a nice person or you've got a good sense of humour. You might have all those things. He didn't, he didn't choose you for that. He chose you before you even existed. You cannot possibly take credit for that. You weren't around at the time. And the end result is that it gives enormous security to our relationship with God. Because, you see, if our relationship with God depends... On our performance, that's very unstable. Now, sometimes we can be pretty nice, sometimes we can be real ratbags. 
Just ask your friends or your marriage partners. All of us, we can be very unattractive at certain times. And so if our relationship with God depended on us being likeable, that's a terrible place to be. But it's not. It's dependent on God. It's dependent on what he is like. And he chose you as his people before you even came into existence. You don't have to feel threatened about God giving you the flick because of something you've done. From the beginning, he chose you. You don't have to feel nervous about God rejecting you for something terrible you might do into the future. From the beginning, God chose you. End of story. But there's even more than that because this love of God for his people, it's not just in the past, it it, it works out in the present as well. Look at the second half of verse 13. From the beginning, God chose you to be saved through the sanctifying work of the Spirit and through belief in the truth. Now those last couple of phrases are very instructive. God's sovereign choice for you is worked out, what does it say? Through the sanctifying work of the Spirit and through belief in the truth. Now you see, some people suggest that God chooses us only in the sense that he looks ahead into the future and he sees who it is who is going to respond to him and so therefore he chooses them. That God's choice is no more than just his foreknowledge of what's going to happen. That is far too weak a view of what is going on with God. The Bible speaks of God not just foreknowing people but of predestining people. In other words, God doesn't just choose those who he looks into the future and can see that they're going to pick him anyway. No, no, he actively works in people so that they respond rightly to him in the future. Or in the words of this verse 13, God chose you to be saved through the sanctifying work of the Spirit and through belief in the truth. In other words, God chooses his people by giving them his Spirit so that they do respond rightly to him. God chooses people by giving them his spirit so that they do believe in the truth. It's emphasised a slightly different way in verse 14 when he writes, he called you to this through through our gospel. There's another big word there, the word call. It's a word which people get a bit confused about. Often we talk about being called into a certain occupation. Ministers like being uh, like saying that you know God called them to the ordained ministry, and some missionaries say you know they were called to the mission field. Not sure that's all that helpful. Uh, it's not the way the Bible uses the phrase. The Bible uses the phrase in in the sense that we are called to be Christians. That's the sense in which Paul's using it here in verse fourteen. It's to emphasise the fact yet again that that God has a very hands-on approach to you becoming a follower of Jesus. It's no accident that you decided to become a follower of Jesus. God has been shaping your life. God has been directing your life in ways that you are not even aware of. But he has been doing it. So at his perfect timing, you will respond and follow Jesus Christ. It was no accident that you just happened to sit next to that person who was reading the Bible that day. It was not just a coincidence that you happened to move next door to a Christian. It didn't just occur randomly that you got an invitation to a guest service. Uh, You didn't just happen to grow up in a Christian family. God left nothing to chance. Very hands-on. 
And you see how it's dovetailing into this whole idea in verse 13 of the sanctifying work of the Spirit. It's all pointing to the truth that the only reason you're a Christian is that God's Spirit is working in you, changing you, opening your eyes to the beauty of the gospel. Because it's, it's all a bit like that. You know those silly 3D pictures that you sometimes get in magazines and books um, where you, you're meant to look at the picture and the 3D and the squiggles are meant to merge and you can see it. I can never see them. I always need those sort of special glasses that occasionally you can get that'll, that'll help you see the picture. That's what the Spirit does. Uh, left to our own devices, left to our sinful nature, we don't see the beauty of the gospel at all. We don't value Jesus at all. We don't understand the cross. But God's Spirit sort of straightens out our thinking. He sanctifies us and, and clears our muddled vision. Now pour it into these verses and it is creating an enormous picture of what God does for his people. Of the extent that he loves them. Through no merit of your own, God picked you before you even existed. And when you did finally come into existence, he has shaped your life. He has shaped your mind and your thinking so that at his timing you would respond to the gospel. And it is all of God. And there is tremendous security in that. The things that he has done to save you. Can you just get a glimmer of how much you must matter to him, how much he must love you? But wait, there's more. For his... Love, God's love for his people is reflected not just in what he's done in the past and the present. Look what he's going to do in the future. Verse 14. Again, he called you to this through our gospel, that you might share in the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. I think that's best uh, taken as a reference to the glory of Jesus' final return when the new creation, new heavens and the earth will come into being. That you might share in the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. Hope you don't mind me telling you this story. Uh, it's sort of my only ever claim to fame, so I hope you don't mind it. Um, it happened quite a few years ago when Sue and the kids were at Easter convention at Katoomba. Uh, I was back here doing Easter stuff and uh, Sue and the kids are all Katoomba, staying at the CMS site. Also staying at the CMS site was no less than Colin Buchanan. Yeah, exactly. Uh, very big deal for my kids back then. They were only little at the time. Uh, Colin, he's really famous. Uh, he's on Play School, he's on the television, he's got CDs and everything. Anyway, here's the family at breakfast at CMS. And Colin Buchanan, can you believe it? Colin Buchanan served Felicity her porridge. <laughs> now that's exciting. So she sort of comes back to the table. Uh, all giggly and silly and, and, and they're all excited about this and the excitement just, you know, it stays with them for a long time. And, and they're standing around in the car park afterwards um, waiting for Sue to get all their stuff to go up to the thing and Colin Buchanan comes out of the, uh, comes out of the kitchen, walks over to Felicity and says, hey, your dad's Bryson Smith, isn't he? <laughs> I reckon her mouth would have just dropped open. <laughs> Colin Buchanan knew who I was. That's hilarious. 
And for that brief moment, in the eyes of my kids, I got to share in the glory of Colin Buchanan. That's pathetic, I know. Can you imagine the glory? Can you imagine sharing in the glory of the Lord Jesus Christ? Can you imagine that when he is revealed uh, in fire with his powerful angels, can you imagine when all the, knee, all the world will bend the knee to the line of Judas sitting on the throne of heaven? Can you just get an, a glimmer of what it would be like for him to know you? For him to call on you as his friend? Friends, that is going to take our breath away. And that is our hope. That is our future. Because of the love of God that we will share in that glory. Friends, these are amazing verses. We're only just sort of scratching the first two really tonight. But there is nothing narrow-minded about this. There is nothing small-scale about this. These verses take us from eternity past to eternity future. In eternity past, God chose you to be saved. And then in this present life, he has called you. He has caused you to hear the gospel. He has caused you to believe the truth. And he's been changing you for the better by his spirit. And in all of this, it's for the purposes of uh, of sharing in Christ's glory into the future. From eternity past to eternity future, God has been saying and thinking and acting out the fact that he loves you enormously. He cannot get you out of his head. And there is enormous comfort in that. There is enormous power in that love. Here is a love that should not only captivate us, here is a love that should activate us. Here is something that we need, we must respond to this. Paul gives us one suggestion how. Verse 15. So then, brothers, stand firm. Hold to the teachings we passed on to you, whether by word of mouth or by letter. Remember that old movie, Twister? Uh, it's about a team of tornado trackers who are driving around the United States uh, chasing tornadoes. And at different times in that movie, isn't it, there's scenes where there's buildings and animals and tractors just sort of flying all around, all around in there. That's it, sort of the image that Paul is drawing on here. It's the image that we live in a world where things are just forever flying all around in the air. The wind of change is lashing our face all the time. Often there is a danger of just being swept away in the pace of life and and being overwhelmed by the uncertainties of life. And Paul is saying, in all of that, just stand firm and hold on to the teachings we gave you. Hold on to that gospel that God has loved you from eternity past to eternity future through the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Because there's going to be times when you will be tempted to let go of it. Lies are going to come into your head from time to time that Jesus is just not worth the effort. Temptations are going to enter your thinking that reading the Bible and spending time in prayer, they're not really all that important. You're going to be tempted to be lax 
in your commitment to Jesus. You're going to be tempted to put more time into the job or the family or the sport or the hobby than the kingdom kingdom of God. You're going to be tempted to watch telly rather than have a quiet time. You're going to be tempted to stay home rather than come to evening church. You're going to be tempted to go home this evening and actually not give a second thought to anything we've, we've read here. And at the end of this little section, Paul is saying, just stand firm and hold on to this stuff. Don't let go of this stuff that God has done for you. Don't bother holding on to all the other stuff out there, you know, the bank balance and the superannuation plan. Don't don't, don't hold on to the clothes and looking good and all that. They are so fleeting and unstable. It's like like holding a kite in a tornado. Base your life on the unshakable love that God has for you. Because that's the sort of thing that will help you get through any storm that this world can blow up. And so he says in verse 16, May our Lord Jesus Christ himself and God our Father who loved us and by his grace gave us eternal encouragement and good hope, may that God encourage your hearts and strengthen you in every good word and deed. This week, where are you going to look to for for encouragement and strength? You know when the bills start to pile up and... The families, the friendship groups might be a breaking point and arguments. Where is your encouragement and strength going to come from? When the sickness comes back, when the chronic pain won't go away, where is your encouragement and strength going to come from? When the pace of life really does pick up, you've got a million and one decisions to make and you really do feel like you're going under for the third time, where is your encouragement and strength going to come from? When people let you down, and you are left disappointed and embarrassed, where is your strength and encouragement going to come from? When you let your own self down and the guilt crashes in on you, where is your encouragement and strength going to come from? Friends, it comes from a God who has loved you from eternity past to eternity future. It comes from a God who cannot get you out of his mind. It comes from a God who is so committed to your best interests, he did not even withhold his precious son from the cross. It comes from a God who from the beginning chose you. That through the sanctifying work of his spirit and through belief in the truth, he called you to his gospel. Encouragement and strength comes from the fact that one day you will share in the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. Brothers and sisters, stand firm. Hold on to that. I'll pray. Father, thank you for the unimaginable dimensions of your love towards us. All that you have done, all that you have orchestrated, all that you have planned, all that you have gone through so that we might be your people. Thank you, Father. It feels so pathetic to just say that, but thank you. Please continue your good work in us. Shape us, change us. Please give us eternal encouragement and good hope. Please strengthen our hearts. Encourage us in every good deed and word. 
Father, thank you for your word to us tonight. Please, by your spirit, press it close to us. Amen.